0: Let's pray, and we'll ask God for his help. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that as we reflect further on him and his magnificent miracles, that you'll help us to appreciate all the more his glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess it's because I'm turning 50 next year, but um, everywhere I look, I'm reminded of how short life is. We're having a bit of a baby boom at church at the moment. That's lovely. I love babies. But as I look at babies, I can't help but think of when my own children were babies. Uh, to me, it seems like yesterday, and now they are so big. Where did the time go? Now, my oldest son is currently on his L's. I'm teaching him to drive. I'm loving it. But, but it's only yesterday, my dad was teaching me to drive. Uh, my dad, who at the time I thought was so old... <laughs> was younger than I am now. Can that really be more than 30 years ago? Where did the time go? By the end of next year, I'll have been at this church for 20 years. Uh, If we stay another 20 years, I'll be 70. If I live that long, the way I feel at the moment, that is no certainty. Uh, the, the, The first 20 years have gone by in a flash. Another 20, no doubt, will go in just as fast. And then there are friends who've died this year. Anna Steele, Laurie Cree, they were both 81, just five years older than my dad. Next year I do turn 50. Now, in the, in the past, if I'd listened to the news and I heard a report, something like, you know, a 50-year-old man was found dead yesterday, I, I would have pictured an old man. You know, I'd have thought, oh, yeah, he had a good crack at life, no problems. But, but now I'm thinking, no, he didn't. He, he barely got started. Life is okay. I'm not saying it's all bad. It's just that it's just that it's very, very short. Uh, Before you know it, you're dead. Uh, The Bible has a good word for it. We thought about it a few years ago. Those of you who were with us back a few years ago when we did the the book of Ecclesiastes, do you remember the word? Life is havel. Havel. It's like a breath. Like a breath here and then it's gone. And, And that does make a difference, doesn't it? A moment's thought and you'll see it colours everything. The 20th century poet, W.H. Auden, wrote this. He said, Death is the sound of distant thunder at a picnic. Death is the sound of distant thunder at a picnic. For me, that names it. Here we are, busy at our picnic, but that thunder is looming in the distance. You can distract yourself as much as you want, you can eat as much as you can, but the picnic can't last. You can't stay here. The storm is coming and there is nothing you can do to stop it. The the more you think about it, the more miserable it is. All the stuff that we think is so important, all the stuff that we stress about and worry about and hassle ourselves about, all, all the stuff we strive after and want it is, as the Bible says, chasing the wind. It's Havel. All right. Now, as we've been seeing these first 12 chapters of John's Gospel, uh, John tells us about seven amazing, impossible miracles that Jesus did. Seven signs that reveal his glory. I think it's important that we try to get these signs in our head. So let me run you through them again. Can you remember the miracles and what they mean? We've seen six of them, six of them so far. See if you can remember them just in your own head. Don't say it out loud because other people will then hear you and they'll think they know. Uh, See if you can remember them in in your head. Okay. (laughs) Miracle number one. Can you remember what it was? Water into wine. To show that, Jesus brings in the joyful new age of salvation. Miracle number two. Healing the enemy royal official, the son of the enemy royal official, do you remember? To show show that Jesus is the saviour of the whole world. Miracle number three, raising up the paralysed man and and, and judging him on the Sabbath. To show that on the, the, the final Sabbath, the ultimate last day, Jesus will raise up and judge the dead. Miracle four, that was bread in the wilderness. Miracle five was bringing his people through the sea. Do you remember what they meant? Again, The idea of uh, Jesus being like Moses, leading his people to the promised land. And then finally, miracle number six. You remember that from a couple of weeks ago? Man born blind. Jesus gives him sight to show that. He's the light of the world. We need to follow him to the promised land and eternal life. You've got to admit, this is pretty pretty impressive stuff, isn't it? Uh, No one else in the history of the world has done this kind of thing. No one else has done these sorts of miracles. Jesus is utterly unique, on a totally different level to anybody else in history. But the reaction to Jesus hasn't been good, has it? Again, a lot of the time I hear people say, oh, if, if I'd been there, if I could have seen it for myself, then I would have believed. Well, not what happened. D- despite all the evidence, most people who see it, they have to admit it's true, but they still refuse to believe in Jesus. And the religious authorities—they feel they feel so threatened that they want him dead. Well, we're getting close to chapter twelve now, and in today's passage we see the seventh and final miracle of this section. Chapter starts off with Jesus getting a message. It's been sent by two of his friends, two sisters called Mary and Martha. It's a message about their brother, a man called Lazarus, also a friend of Jesus. The message is Lazarus is sick. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Have a look with me. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We'll see that in a few weeks. So, the sisters sent word to Jesus Lord, the one you love is sick in a bit of a riddle Jesus says that this sickness is not going to end up with Lazarus dead he says it'll end up with God and himself being glorified and then even more strangely Jesus does nothing he he stays where he is for two days verse 4 when he heard this Jesus said this sickness will not end in death no It is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Why does he do that? While Jesus is staying where he is, Lazarus dies. Jesus then decides he's going to go back to Judea. But the disciples remind him, last time he was there in Judea, the religious leaders tried to stone him to death. Verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, "Let, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you were going back there? Jesus answers with another kind of a riddle. He says, there are 12 hours in a day. In other words, Each day has a set time. And and as long as you walk within those set hours of daytime, you're safe. You're not going to fall over. You'll have light. Jesus is using the riddle as a parallel with his own ministry. Like with a day, Jesus' ministry has a set time. It will end when his time comes. Jesus will die when his time comes. And until then, he and his disciples are safe. Like walking around in the light of day. The disciples don't need to worry. Nothing will happen until Jesus' time has come. Verse 9. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It's when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Jesus then tells the disciples, Lazarus is dead. After a bit of confusion, they finally understand and they take their courage in their hands and they join him on the journey to Judea. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep so then he told them more plainly Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him then Thomas called Didymus said to the rest of the disciples let us also go that we may die with him It takes a couple of days for Jesus and his disciples to walk all the way down to Bethany By that time, Lazarus is well and truly dead. He's been dead for four days. And I guess that's why Jesus waited, to ensure that Lazarus was truly dead. This is not just some near-death experience to make what he plans to do even more obviously glorious. Jesus arrives. Martha comes out to meet him. Says, Jesus, you should should have been here earlier. Then you could have healed Lazarus. Jesus says, Lazarus will rise again. But Martha assumes he's talking about the resurrection at the end of time. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. "'Lord,' Martha said to Jesus, "'if you'd been here, my brother would not have died.' But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know, he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha believes in a final resurrection, but then Jesus says something stunning. He makes a, a massive claim about himself. He says... He says that he is the one who is in control of the resurrection. He will raise people who believe in him to eternal life. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, as Lazarus has just done. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let's just look at Jesus' words a bit more closely here. First, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he is the one who's going to raise dead people, he is the one who will give them eternal life. Next, Jesus says, Anyone who believes in me will live even though he dies. Anyone who puts their trust in his death and resurrection, even though they might die physically, they won't die eternally. And then Jesus says, whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What does he mean by whoever lives? Maybe that's talking about now. Whoever, whoever lives now, if while we're alive, we put our faith in Jesus, then we won't suffer eternal death. Or maybe when Jesus says whoever lives here, he means whoever lives the life, the eternal life that he gives. Whoever... Whoever lives that eternal life will never die. Either way, the result is the same. If you're relying on Jesus, you will live forever. You may die, you will die, if Jesus doesn't return first. But death will not be the end for you. Jesus will raise you to life. And you will live forever with him. There is an even better picnic on the other side of the storm. That is a big claim, isn't it? That's a remarkable claim. And yet Martha believes Jesus. Verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Martha calls to her sister, Mary. Mary comes with a whole entourage of people. She also says, Jesus, you should have come earlier. Uh, Jesus sees how distressed everyone is and he is moved to the point of tears. Verse 28. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary, aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. They replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, "See how he loved him." But some of them said, "Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying?" I got to say, I love the picture of Jesus here. He does not take life or death lightly. It reminds me of that psalm, you know, where it says kind of valuable in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He, he, he wasn't kind of unmoved by this. He was, he, was, he was here, he was sharing in the muck and in the pain, deeply moved, weeping with us. To me, this is so important in understanding the glory of Jesus. He's not emotionally distant, he's not removed, he, he's been here, he knows and he cares. Jesus comes to the grave. He asks them to open it. Martha reminds him, Lazarus has been dead for four days. He'll be decomposing by now. But they open the tomb. Jesus prays to God so that people will see that that he's, he's doing God's will here. Jesus then calls out to the dead man and he rises from the dead and comes out of the tomb. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Look, I know know it's an old story. I know it's a familiar story. I know you've read it a hundred times. But wow. Just stop and think for a second. This is not something that happens every day. Jesus called to a dead person, a rotting person, a piece of dead meat, And he came alive again. You or I, we couldn't do this. If we called to a dead man, nothing would happen. What Jesus has done here is impossible. It's amazing. It can't happen. But yet John, who wrote this gospel, saw it with his own eyes. And what is brilliant is this. This is not just some interesting quirk in history. A a dead person happened to rise. Whoopee. No, no, no. It is directly relevant to you and to me because what it does, it proves what Jesus has claimed. It proves that he is the resurrection and the life. It proves that if you or I believe in him, then even though we die, Jesus will raise us to life. Of course, what Jesus claims here, it was proved again in his own resurrection, wasn't it? Jesus himself was raised from the dead. Another stone rolled away. Raised, not back to this life, like Lazarus. Jesus was raised to the very eternal life that he's claiming to offer. Okay, Can you see what's here in John chapter 11? It's a pretty simple story, isn't it? Lazarus dies. Jesus claims to be the resurrection and the life. And then he raises Lazarus from the dead. There it is, the seventh and final miracle of John 1 to 12. This is a big one, isn't it? This one really did, like Jesus said, bring glory to God and to God's Son. I hope you're appreciating more and more the just unique glory of Jesus, because this is big. And friends, if it's real, if it's true, if this actually happened, as John the eyewitness tells us it, it, it did, it's got to change everything. Doesn't it? It has to. It must change our view of death. Death is terrible. It is the last enemy. We can and we should weep in the face of death, just like Jesus did here. But Jesus has shown us that there is a resurrection. You know, death is such a mystery to us. No one's been there and come back. People keep saying, somebody has now. Jesus has shown us here that there is a resurrection. And so, like the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, we don't grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Death, for a believer in Jesus, is not the end. There is more picnic on the other side of the storm because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's got to change our view of death. And more than that, it's got to change our view of life. Back last century, in the 1990s, when I was in Bible college, I I I knew a man, let's call him Peter, to protect him. Peter was a Christian. Uh, He'd grown up in a North Shore church, just near to here. But he was also pretty keen on the stuff of this life. He was a single bloke, very handsome. The girls all loved him. He was a very clever guy from a wealthy family. And after a few months at Bible College, uh, Peter's best friend offered him a job. It was in a startup- company, it looked like there was lots of money to be made, and so Peter quit Bible College and uh, took the job. Now for a long time, more than 20 years, I heard nothing about him, but just a couple of weeks ago, I ran into Peter, I ran into him again, and he told me his story. Now to start with, things went really well. He was making a lot of money, enjoying the single life, lots of travel, lots of parties. He could buy anything he wanted. He had a nice house, had a sports car. He could do anything he wanted, have any girlfriend he wanted. He he still had faith, but he he dropped off going to church. He was too busy living for here and now. Uh, But then the global financial crisis hit, and everything started to come apart. Peter's so-called best friend took a whole heap of money out of the business and disappeared. Uh, Left Peter with massive debts and a failed business. Uh, Peter went bankrupt, he lost everything, and at the same time, his his dad died and his mum got seriously sick. Uh, For Peter, it was a total crisis. Everything he'd lived for, gone up in smoke. But you know what he said to me? He said, Jeff, it was terrible. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. He went on to tell me about a sermon that he heard at the time. Uh, the preacher said, imagine, imagine a rope. It goes on and on and on in, into the distance beyond where you can see. It goes on and on and on. Do you know what this life is? It's like the first centimetre of that rope. It's, it, it's nothing compared to what is to come. And so Peter said to me, he said, Jeff... I've now learned what I call the 100-year rule. I said, the what? He said, the 100-year rule is very simple. If it's not going to matter in a 100 years, it doesn't matter. It's not worth living for. It's not worth stressing over. And he went on to say, Do you know, there's only one thing that passes the test, and that is people in relationship with Jesus. That's the only thing that'll last. It's the only thing worth living for, he said. And he said, that is what I am living for from now on. In the light of John chapter 11, Peter must be right, mustn't he? Friends, life is very short. Soon we'll be dead. The storm will soon be here. But Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He didn't just say it. He showed it. By raising Lazarus. He is the resurrection and the life. And so there is something worth living for. Something that will last a hundred years. A thousand years. A billion years. And said, so you know what? We can live with purpose. And die with hope. We can live with purpose. And die with hope. Again the Apostle Paul said it best. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not havel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious, glorious resurrection and the life thank and praise you that because of him, everything is transformed. Our whole idea of death is transformed. Our whole idea of the future is transformed. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we might be people who believe in him, so that even though we die, yet shall we live. And we pray that we might live here and now for him. We pray it in Jesus' name.